Hello and welcome to another episode of Not If I Reboot You First. It's a podcast where we take popular properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. I'm Lindsay. And what are your pronouns, Lindsay? I use uh, she, her. There we go. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get into the rhythm of this at some point. Yeah. It only took us, what, like a month to get an actual opening down? Yeah. Oh well. Anyways, I'm Tanner and I use they, them pronouns. So, Tanner, what are we doing today? Today, we are going back to the 90s. Deep in the 90s, even though we already kind of planned to have a 90s month soon. But this one I had to do now. Because when (laughs) this episode comes out, it is Rex Manning Day. The day when washed-up 80s superstar Rex Manning visits the titular store of the movie we're talking about today... Empire Records. <laughs> that was a very long-winded way to explain that. Yes. But let me try again. We're, today we're rebooting Empire Records. Yay! I... Okay, I have never seen Empire Records. Ah, oh, it's, it's such a good movie. It stars a bunch of guys that you've never heard of, and then also Liv Tyler, Debbie Mazar, Renee Zellweger, and Robin Tunney. Oh, wow. Yeah. Everyone, it sounds like they were kind of banking on all the guys to go on to become heartthrobs, and no, it was all the girls who had huge major careers instead. Yeah. Okay, so I've seen, like, the poster that was used for all of the uh, video and DVD covers. Yeah. There is no dog in this movie. I don't know why there's a dog on the poster. Yeah, that's weird. Maybe we'll have to add a dog to this. Yeah. So, what is Empire Records about? The plot of Empire Records goes like this. It is set in an independently owned music store called Empire Records in mm-hmm. Delaware, apparently. I don't okay. know if that actually factors into the plot at any point. Um, uh, Delaware is such a nothing place anyway. Oh, and it's, it's minorly important because the film opens on the night cashier Lucas taking the day's cash receipts to a casino in Atlantic City. Okay. Basically, he discover Lucas discovers that the owner Joe or the manager Joe is needs to sell the store to a music franchise called Music Town in order to save it. Otherwise, they're going to be shut down. And yeah. so Lucas is like, "Okay, I will use gambling to save the store. This has of never course. gone wrong." Uh, so it goes wrong. Of course, it does. And one of the plots of the day that occurs for the bulk of the film is Lucas trying to apologize to Joe for trying to save the store while also lambasting Joe for having the audacity to sell out to the man. Where Joe is like, it's not like I wanted to sell out to the man, but we have no money, Lucas, and you're an idiot teenager. That's the thing, is that most of these characters are teens. They're teens on the cusp of graduation, but they are teens. It comes with all the coming-of-age goodness. Yeah. The peak of, you think you know everything, and you're right? Yeah. Anyway, some other things that are going on. As I mentioned before, today is Rex Manning Day, so we mustn't dwell. No, not today. Not on Rex Manning Day. Okay. And washed up. It's, it's one of the quotes from the movie. Where's his name? Mark. Mark says, Mark is my favorite character because he's an adorable stoner. Okay. He's played by Ethan Embry, who grew up to become Greg in Once Upon a Time. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I recognize him. He, you, 
you shouldn't really because he looks completely different. He's got hair for one. <laughs> yeah. Hair does changes does change how guys look. Yeah, I mean, take it from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, male pattern balding. Yeah, I just got rid of that shit. Anywho, um, so Mark is is high. That's kind of his main plot. He's there and he's high and he's a goof. Nice. We've got AJ, who's trying to win over the affections of Corey, who he's been crushing on forever. Corey is Liv Tyler. Tragically, this is not a homosexual movie. It could oh. be. It was the 90s. We can, yeah. We'll make it. We have the power. This is the show. Yeah. Um, there's also Corey's best friend, Gina, played by Renee Zellweger, who has, like, no inhibitions. She is the high school bicycle as far as people know, that's her reputation. Okay. Based on the way she acts and talks about it, it's not necessarily unfounded. Okay, well. Uh, then there's also Deb, who shows up to work after an apparent suicide attempt and proceeds to shave her entire head. Huh. So, that's... It's portrayed moderately more tastefully than me just bl blurting it out like that. Okay. Actually, let me talk about Deb, because I really like Deb. She is my favorite character. I feel like she's a lot of people's favorite characters. When I decided to shave my head, it was kind of because of Deb. Alongside all okay. the other stuff like, oh, I don't like the way my hair looks, and it's already thinning, and it's just nasty, and it's too much work. <sighs> and so then I just, I watched the scene of her on YouTube, and when she shaves her head, and that's actually Robin Tunney shaving her real head. Oh, wow. And she was, like, in the middle of filming another movie at this time, too, so she had to wear a wig on one movie and then was just bald for the other one. Wow. And also, that was her idea. Like, her character was going to get cut from yeah. the script because there wasn't anything interesting about her. So then she decided, okay, like, give me the script. Deb shows stuff to work. She locks herself in the bathroom and shaves her head. Done. I'm in the movie again. <laughs> that is really cool. Right, and then Rex Manning's there, and Corey has decided that she's going to lose her virginity to Rex Manning. Like, this is something that she's put in her calendar, because she's definitely a calendar teen. Yeah. It's like, the day planner, April 8th, Rex Manning gets here, I'm gonna lose my virginity to him. Cut and dry, that's it. Uh, it doesn't go as planned. Nothing goes as planned for any of the characters in this show. Yeah, of course. There's also a shoplifter who shows up partway through. <laughs> He's referred to as Warren Beatty because he never actually gives them his real name. Huh. Um, and eventually he ends up getting hired at the store because they realize he's just a shitty teen who needs someone to look out for him. Yeah. Much like how Lucas was once a shitty teen and Joe had to look out for him. It's There's a lot of stuff that goes on in this movie and it all kind of comes back to these teens are growing up and they're finally starting to outgrow their mentor, Joe, who has done his best to parent them because they evidently do not have their own parental figures at home. It's the 90s. Yeah. I'm guessing they were all very 80s latchkey kids. Most likely. And they turned into 90s grunge heads. And it's great. Hey, this movie has a really good soundtrack. Okay. I actually found out that it was originally conceived solely based on the idea that so the, the studio that made this movie also made The Bodyguard. Oh, oh wow. And while The, while the Bodyguard did well, the soundtrack did even better. So yeah. they're like, okay, so we're going to make another movie 
where the movie does really good, but the soundtrack also does really good. And since we own both of the companies, like the movie and the record label, then we'll get double the money. Yeah. (laughs) The problem with that is that the writer and director did not care about what kind of money the studio wanted. They just wanted to tell a good story. So they put on a whole bunch of other songs that weren't owned by the label. Which meant that those songs were not on the soundtrack, which means that the soundtrack really struggled. Yeah, because there's some Also, the really... movie completely bombed. Do you want to yeah. know why the movie completely bombed? Why? Well, they had the director's cut, and they did a test screening for a bunch of teens, you know, the teen movie, and they showed it to the teens. Yeah. They wanted to sell it to the teens. So they showed the, the original cut to the teens, and the teens absolutely loved it. And then yeah. they showed the cut to the, like, 24 to 45-year-old demographic. And they hated it. So they decided that they needed to chop up and fix the movie so it was more marketable to the people that they weren't even selling it to. You don't need to do that. You don't need to freaking do that. And so, yeah, it got chopped up and they had to add time by adding in more musical numbers for songs that were were owned, was owned. The songs was owned by the label. (laughs) And they put them in there. Because there weren't enough songs owned by the label for them. Oh, God. It was an absolute mess. Yeah. But it is a cult classic. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It could have been more successful if they stuck to their guns. Not only, like, you have your teen market, but you could also, like, do a bit of a crossover with, like, the university college market. Mostly the undergrads. Mm Mm-hmm. Because this is exactly the kind of place where the disillusioned teens and college kids would be hanging out. Yeah. Like, even the store itself, like, when you look at it in the scenery and whatnot, I'm pretty sure it's made out of a house, and so it has, like, multiple floors, and it has, like, sitting areas and listening booths that are occasionally used for people to have sex in, but it was the (laughs) 90s, Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it would be, like, mm, what would be a Regina equivalent? Like, a less nerdy tramps, or? Yeah, something like that. A more music-oriented Tramps. And Tramps was pretty good for music, too. Yeah. Yeah. Downstairs had a pretty great music area. The upstairs was where it got... Oh. The nerd. The nerd was strong up there. That was the nerd zone. Yeah. You want you want to buy some GURPS? We got GURPS. Oh. If you wanted to find, like, a really obscure, like, tabletop game, you could find it. You want you want a first edition D and D adventure supplement that we had to vacuum seal in plastic because if you look at it too hard, it dissolves into dust. We got you, fam. <laughs> anyway, so, the uh, movie ends with, um, let's see what what's kind of all the climax stuff. Gina and Corey start fighting because Gina has sex with Rex Manning just to get back at Corey, and then they get into a fight, but then they make up. Uh, Deb reveals that she tried to kill herself that morning, but she couldn't do it because she was using a lady bick. Mm-hmm. Which is... Mm. <laughs> it's the delivery is what sells it as, oh, this is really concerning. You're going through some stuff. But she's just sitting there at a mock funeral that they're holding for her <laughs> to, so that she knows how much they care about her. And she's like, I tried to kill myself this morning with a lady bick. It smelled like <laughs> daisies and had a moisturizing bar. But she gets better with friendship. Okay, good. And then they manage to save the store because after Warren shows up again with a gun. Oh. 
Okay. And then they talk him down. Like the the news crews show up because it's a hostage situation for like twenty minutes. Yep. Um, and so then they commandeer the news vans and they're like, tell us about the hostage situation. And like, ah, whatever, it's fine. Listen, they're trying, Music Town is trying to buy Empire Records. We got to raise enough money to stop the buyout. Damn the man, save the Empire. (laughs) And so they host an impromptu concert at the the Empire Records and it manages to raise enough money to keep the store going. Nice. On the TV Trust page for this, someone did comment that, um... It's kind of sad because a lot of franchise and big box music stores died out during the streaming, the rise of streaming. Yeah. And then someone else pointed out the fact that this store is more than just a place to buy. It's clearly a place for a lot of people to hang out. So as long as the right crowd is able to stick around long enough, it would actually like do better than the big box and chain stores. And it would outlast. And so like like, going off that note, that's kind of how I'm starting the actual reboot of this, which, oh, here's the other thing. Last year on Rex Manning Day, the original <laughs> screenwriter, Carol Heikinen, announced yeah. that she is working with Zoe Sarnak and Bill Weiner to create a stage adaptation of the movie. Cool. And they're aiming for Broadway next year. That is super cool. Can't wait to see it. Yes, Hope it becomes something that uh, drama teachers in high schools pick up. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Broadway 2020 is a bit of a reach, just knowing what I know about the journey it takes for some shows to get onto Broadway from off-Broadway stuff. Yeah. You rarely launch on Broadway unless you Mm -hmm. know all the right people. You have to have so much money and so many connections. Yeah. On the flip side, there are shows like, here's an example, Be More Chill, was released in, like, a little Ohio or Iowa theater. Oh, wow. um, In 2015. Yeah. And it ran for several shows, and then was just kind of done. And then there was a little revival at the theater a few years later, and that was done. Then there's, like, an Australian production, and that only ran for so long. But because the fandom, like, people kept finding out about it and spread it through word of mouth, and the fandom kept growing and growing to the point where, like, the last show in the Australian had a huge crowd there for it. And so, like, the cast and the crew were, like, using this clout to talk to people in bigger theaters, and eventually they were able to get an off-Broadway revival. And off-Broadway isn't, like... Off-Broadway doesn't mean any theater. It's, like, a specific section of New York theaters. Yeah. And then, if you're on off-Broadway, that's one more step to get onto Broadway. And so, Be More Chill actually got onto Broadway February of this year. Nice. Which means that I, I really hope that they perform something at the Tonys this year. I don't even know when the Tonys are, but if Be More Chill is going to perform, I will absolutely watch it. Okay, so off-Broadway, as defined by Wikipedia, is any professional venue in Manhattan in New York City with a seating capacity between 100 and 499 inclusive. These theaters are smaller than Broadway theaters, but larger than off-off-Broadway theaters, which seat fewer than 100. An off-Broadway production is a production of a play, musical, or review that appears in such a venue and adheres to related trade, union, and other contracts. Shows that premiere off-Broadway are sometimes subsequently produced on-Broadway. Yeah. Yeah, because I've always wondered what off-Broadway meant. Like, does it mean yeah. that it, it, it happens, like, like, on a street? Close to Broadway, <laughs> but not Broadway itself? Like, do you have to be in a certain geographical area of New York to be off-Broadway? Or, yeah. 
Yeah, it's just an, an official designation, and it's like, I, I think some people try and use it as a way to deride plays, like, oh, you're just off-Broadway, but I think that's, like, only used by people who don't actually get what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, usually it's just like, oh, you're starting out something. Cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, all that's just to say that an Empire Records musical probably isn't going to hit Broadway unless they have all the right connections by 2020. Yeah. Because they'd have to go through previews, and they'd have to make any adjustments to those, and then they'd probably open it and off-Broadway, and then they'd get to Broadway. I'd say 2021, maybe. Yeah. But we don't have to wait until 2021, because we're talking about this now. Right now. This is the show, Lindsay. <laughs> So, this is the first time I've tried to make a musical adaptation of something, and it could be really easy, it might be really difficult. I'm gonna say right now, I don't know what any of these songs would necessarily sound like, on account of, I do not know any music theory, or music theory. <laughs> yeah, you're an English major. Yeah, I, c I can write the, the the dialogue, and then I'm going to have to hand it over to someone else for the lyrics. Well, I think that's usually how it goes. Yes. Um, I imagine that the best way to adapt a pre-existing thing into a musical, though, is to just inject musical numbers into certain points. If we need, like, a filler song, there's plenty to pull from. Yeah. Like, for example, actually, I do know exactly what I'd want for just... I'll probably be jumping around all over. For the second act opener... Okay. There's a scene in the movie where Mark gets high off pop brownies while watching a Guar <laughs> music video. <sighs> okay. <laughs> and he oh. hallucinates that he is he joins the Guar band. Like he he's watching the TV and then he appears on the TV while he's watching the TV. And then he joins Guar and he like shreds on the guitar and then the Guar people are like, "Oh, Mark, that was really great. Unfortunately, you now must die." And then Mark gets eaten by, like, a giant teeth sphincter <laughs> while, while watching himself get eaten on the TV. <laughs> and so that's what I would like the second act opener to be. <laughs> <laughs> Just some weird acid dream straight out of fucking heavy metal. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we can get the actual Guar to be on Broadway. <laughs> but you could get something Guar adjacent. Yes, <laughs> that's that's exactly what we need. We need to get Guar adjacent. <laughs> so yeah, and that can be a whole knockoff heavy metal song. Most of these songs are probably going to be in the grunge area because yeah. that was like the style. That's the soundtrack. Some things can edge more on the side of pop punk. A lot of them would be riffing on the actual songs that appeared in the movie. So like okay. something that hones close to Seams by Queen Sarah Saturday. Uh, something akin to Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles or Money, uh, Flying Lizards. Actually, Money would probably be an entire musical number. Basically... There's a scene where all the staff find out that Lucas gambled away the previous night's earnings and they're in, in even in more serious debt than they were before. Yeah, because that was nine grand. Nine thousand dollars. They get a lot of mileage out of the fact that the store has an intercom that basically anyone can use. <laughs> <laughs> and so Gina gets on the intercom and is like, this, this special song goes out to our night manager, Lucas. And then she starts playing Money, That's What I Want by Flying Lizards. 
And Lucas just sitting there awkwardly, and Joe, the manager, is like, oh my god, these fucking teens. <laughs> I imagine that would be turned into an entire, like, probably burlesque number by Gina. Yes. Where she just spends the entire time mocking predominantly Lucas, but she probably takes some time to take the piss out of everyone else in the store, too. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, the, sto- the actual opening of the store would probably be another musical number. What other musical numbers are there? Okay, so one of my other favorite most scenes of this are my favorite scenes. Fortunately, you can find a lot of, like, just the small clips of it on YouTube, the major stuff. Okay. You can also, I can't imagine it'd be too hard to find the DVD. Although, if you're looking for the DVD, don't get the remix edition, because that, like, takes out even more scenes. Oh, no, like, what is it? No, the unrated version includes four extra scenes and 16 minutes of additional footage. Okay. So you're really better off just getting a normal-ass copy of the DVD. Uh, is there, like, a director's cut, or...? No, they, they did not release a director's cut. Hmm. Okay. The director's cut is the musical. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like it, at least. Uh, it was directed by Alan Moyle, who was not reported to be involved in the musical, but is probably going to, in, to some degree. Yeah. Uh, he also made Pump Up the Volume huh. with Christian Slater. Okay. That's another fun movie. Yeah. That's very much a fuck you parents movie. <laughs> so yeah, opening the store would probably be another musical number where they all sing. They all introduce themselves and like introduce Empire Records. Yeah. Um, the very first song would probably be Lucas heading down to Atlantic City. And that would probably be a very slow kind of mournful song because it's Lucas desperately trying to make more money and just keeps on losing and losing. Yeah, like, my kind of go-to song for Atlantic City, because it's called Atlantic City, is a song by um, Bruce Springsteen. And it's kind of like a slow, sad song. Yeah, or it could also be like a song that starts out pretty hype and then it like kind of just dies down. But I I don't necessarily want it to be so bombastic that it kind of steals the thunder from the store opening. Like... This song is the first song, but the st- when you open the store, that's the real opening number. Okay. Because that's where you get all the characters introducing themselves and, like, talking about the store and how great it is in their lives and, like, what they're hoping for when they graduate in a few months, stuff like that. Cool. Another favorite scene of mine is when Warren Beatty, the shoplifter, first shows up. <laughs> uh, because, well, the, the whole thing, at least all the parts you can find on YouTube... First off, it starts with Lucas, who has been told not to leave the couch by Joe. And then when Joe is distracted, desperately, like, trying to talk down the store owner, because Joe is just the manager, he's not the owner. Okay. He's distracted, and so Lucas spots the shoplifter. And so he grabs a couch cushion and carries it with him outside (laughs) onto the floor so that he has not left the couch. (laughs) (laughs) And then he, he has a brief discussion with Mark. And Mark's like, I've decided to start a band. And Lucas is like, all bands need a very good name. Oh, yeah, that's the thing, because Lucas is kind of like, he thinks, I don't know if the Matrix is out yet, but he kind of acts like he's in the Matrix. He he has a black turtleneck and puka shells and, like, the thousand-yard stare and, like, deep black hair. And he's just like, people will be like, Lucas, what's with you today? And he'll be like, what's with today, today? Oh, my God. Lucas is fake deep, come alive and taking human form. (laughs) He's what every teenager thinks is deep. Exactly. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> so Lucas, like, talking to Mark about Mark starting a band, and Mark is like, 
my name is Mark with a K. So I was going to call my band Mark with a C just, just <laughs> to confuse people because it's like psychedelic. And Lucas is like, yes, Mark, always keep them guessing. <laughs> anyway, after that little aside, he walks over to the shoplifter who like is just grabbing random stuff and shoving it in his jacket pocket and being extremely obvious about it. And like uh. Lucas like looms above him because this kid is very short. He's like 14. Oh, wow. He's a 14-year-old played by a 14-year-old in a group of 18-year-olds played by what I assume are 22-year-olds. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, Lucas is being very tall and in his area. (laughs) And he's just like, hmm, that's a good CD. Very nice choice. Nice jacket. Many pockets. The fat man walks alone. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then Warren just like, I have no idea how to react to this. And so Lucas walks off and, oh no, Warren walks off and then Lucas waits a moment and then he runs out the back door to head him off. And then it cuts over to Mark who sees this and he just screams. Like you hear his voice crack. Shoplifter! <laughs> and then like some punk music starts playing as Lucas is like chasing Warren like outside the store. And then Warren runs back inside the store and they're like, dodging and ducking and weaving and like Warren's trying to hide behind the line of Rex Manning fangirls who have started to appear. (laughs) Meanwhile Gina and Deb are at the tills and they're like isn't it customary to leave the scene of the crime after you're finished? Definitely an amateur. And then Gina gets on the intercom again. Attention gathered Rex Manning fans. If you look to your left you will see our night manager Lucas pursuing a shoplifter. Once he is caught, and he will be caught, he will be killed and deep fried and served to our first 100 customers. Just another example of the Empire Records hospitality. (laughs) So that whole thing is going to be a musical number, although Gina on the intercom is probably going to be spoken still. Yes. Oh man, this is like, this is like 16. Oh, it is, very much. It definitely hits that vibe of, like... A bunch of young people who work at a job that they mostly like. They like 80% like. You know, those jobs where you can't stand the customers, but you love the people. Yeah. And, like, they've all, they've grown with the camaraderie. And there's very, it's very kind of evident that they've all been working together for several years at this point. Probably their entire high school lives. Um, what else could we make into a musical number? Uh, Deb's Funeral. Would probably yes. be a chill number. That that would probably be like a a ballad. Mm-hmm. Like we, everything needs to have a little bit of punk, a little bit of grunge, just kind of dusted on top. Yeah. But like, I get like now that I think about it, yeah, we can't just have the same songs going all throughout. That's gonna get boring. And there are gonna be several songs that kind of break that style, like the Guar number, the Guar knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> and another one will be Rex Manning's entrance, which. Okay, they probably put this actual song in because they wrote it for the movie. His new, like, comeback hit is called Say No More, Mon Amour. Oh. And the whole thing is just him. He's just trying to be sexy while speaking French. Oh, man. And then you've got, like, the, like, generic sexy women. And they're, like, fluttering silken cloths around themselves and around Rex. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm just imagining, like, 
Because in the 90s, pop was really into like that Latin sound because you got like Enrique Iglesias and all that. And the odd castanet gets thrown in there. And there's a Latin no. beat, but it's supposed to be in French. And Yeah, he he doesn't even know what he's doing with like 90s pop. He's still stuck in 80s pop. This is Ooh. a deep 80s pull that Ooh. he made for a 90s comeback. Oh no! And like he sh- he shows up expecting a bunch of like hot young things to be fawning over him, and it's a bunch of moms and one girl getting the autograph oh for her mom. Oh my god! Oh my god! The... <laughs> it's almost as bad as when New Kids on the Block try to make a comeback. The New Kids are fine. Yeah, they're okay. Step by step, ooh baby, gonna get to you, girl. Where were we? New Kids on the Block. Rex Manning. Right. Okay. So Rex Manning. It's a fucking washout. Um, there is actually a deleted scene that surfaced where he's talking to uh, Burko, one of the other characters, who is played by actual musician Coyote Shivers and is Deb's boyfriend in the movie. But in the reality, he's Liv Tyler's stepdad. Oh. Or at least was during the movie. Which is kind of weird, because he's only, okay, 12 years older than her. It's not as bad as I initially thought, but he's still playing a character who's only a few years older than Liv Tyler's character. So that's kind of like, oof. Yeah. Yeah, movies are... Mm. So, but there's a scene between Burko and Rex Manning, where Rex Manning talks about how the label forced him to stop making the music he wanted to make, and that's when he started going downhill. And then even this song, like the Say No More, Mon Amour, his comeback track was like designed in a lab basically by the label. And it's still not something he's proud of. And he doesn't know what he wants anymore. And Burko, I don't know what Burko says, but it's something along the lines of, dude, just stick it to the man. Yeah. Um, and so then at the end, when Burko and his band are playing on top of Empire Records for the Frontraiser, Rex Manning does return and he actually plays with them. And then he ends up getting too rowdy and dragged off by the police. (laughs) So that's one thing that might be interesting to see is a Rex Manning redemption of a sorts. Okay. Where even if he doesn't necessarily become a good guy because he's an absolute pig to Corey and Gina during all of their interactions. But he at the very least recognizes his mistakes and that his time is over and throws his support behind Empire Records and uh, just a show of good faith at the very least. Yeah. The other note I wanted to say, because I mentioned earlier how with a store like this, if it's in the right community and has the right kind of fan base for this one store, then it could actually last to the present day. Yeah. So my idea was that like by the end of the show, like after everything passes, we see time passing on stage as people like come and go and they leave. And eventually it gets to like another kid who needs a place to work and needs someone to look out for them. Mm -hmm. And it's Warren who's still there he's like after 20 years and he's like this is the empire and it outlasted everything it can outlast anything that else gets thrown at it and uh, we can take you and we can help you awesome nice heart and heartwarming yes um dang i went through that pretty quickly because those are like the major beats i'm trying to think of other spots where we could put musical numbers in uh, let's see. Like aesthetically, I feel like it would hone close to a Heather's with regards to how the music sounds. Yeah, I can see it being kind of snarky and all that. And wait, 
Corey's addicted to amphetamines. Oh, right. I forgot about that, too. Yeah, because they help her study. They help her focus. Yeah, that's what a lot of people use, like, Adderall for. Yeah, I think they actually explicitly say it's Adderall. Okay. So. I don't know. We could do a parody of the, I'm so excited. I'm sorry? Oh, you know, the one clip from, what was it, Saved by the Bell, where the one girl goes, I'm so excited. Well. Hi, on Ritalin. Yeah, no, uh, Empire Records takes that a bit further because basically everything comes to a head with Gina has sex with Rex to get back at Corey. Uh, oh yeah, because, okay, so Gina and Corey argue because Corey is seen as the real bookish prep girl and Gina is seen as the school bicycle. So they have a fight and Gina decides, fuck it, I'm just going to lean hard into this. And so she goes and seduces Rex and they have sex on top of photocopier because this is the 90s, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Children, this is a photocopier. Yeah. They're discovered, and AJ, who, if you recall, was crushing on Corey, he fights with Rex. Okay. And Gina is furious, and, like, Joe tries to send her home, and she just gets into another fight with Corey and reveals the methamphetamines and, like, starts chucking them all over the break room. Corey has an actual mental breakdown and just starts, like, beating the shit out of Rex and then beating the shit out of his cardboard cutout and just trying to trash the store. Wow. So that could translate into a musical number. Like we could, early on, we could have Corey like do her solo about how like everything she plans to do with her life, how she's going to go to call, go to a good college and like get a good career and have sex with Rex Manning and then marry a really decent guy, all that kind of stuff. And like she has everything all planned out. And then when she has her breakdown, like we can have a dark reprise where it's like very frenetic and not necessarily an uplifting like headbanger song, like a song that makes you a little uncomfortable to listen to because it's so manic and it represents her just kind of like frayed on all of the edges of her mind. Yeah. Yeah. So basically that would be our belly of the whale point ever using like the hero's journey. Yeah, probably. Another point on that could be the funeral that Corey holds for Deb, which she does because Deb like, for the first time in her life, as far as anyone knows, Deb actually tries to comfort her. And Deb okay. does not comfort people. Yeah. Okay. So, Deb gives Corey a pep talk. That. that would not be a musical number. But yeah. the funeral itself would be a musical number. And it'd be something really slow and chill. Probably occasionally interrupted by people, like, talking about their own problems. Mm-hmm. Because, like, even when, like, they're supposed to say why they miss Gina, while she, or why they miss Deb while she's sitting there. And then when it gets yeah. to Corey, she's like, I miss Gina. And Deb is like, uh, excuse me, it's my funeral. <laughs> so maybe something a bit more honest and, like, a little heartfelt, even though it can be goofy in parts. Basically, that would be Deb's big number. Uh, talking about how, like, she al- she's always felt invisible and kind of abandoned by the people who are supposed to take care of her. And it gets to the point where even when she knows people care about her, she doesn't know about it. It's the thing I was talking about earlier today. You've got the big brain, but also the little brain. And the little brain is a fucking asshole. <laughs> and yeah, so that would be a good number. Like, I don't want it. I don't want everything to be goofy, goofy, punk rock, hell yeah. I mean, I want yeah. there to be a significant amount of goofy, goofy, Drama, punk rock, hell yeah. But when it's dealing with the serious issues, like, treat them with the weight they deserve. Yeah. What else can we do for the bicon of the week? I would say maybe Lucas. Maybe Lucas and Mark will get together. Because, like, 
Gina doesn't really need a guy. Deb is with Burko, and AJ does end up with Corey at the end. But Mark never gets a love interest, and Lucas never gets a love interest. So maybe, yeah. maybe they can get together. The the fake deep and the stoner. That's a match made in heaven. <laughs> Those would be super interesting conversations, especially when they get the weed involved. <laughs> yeah, they can do acid trips together. Oh boy. <laughs> Maybe this is a, a bad decision. <laughs> Look, most high school romances don't last anyway, so. This is true. It it does end with uh, AJ declaring that he's going to attend, like, attend a college in Boston so that he can be near her when she's at Harvard. Okay. Which is, it's nice that he doesn't say, I'm going to Harvard to be with you. He's just like, I'm going to be in the area, but I'm still chasing my own dreams. Yeah. Because that's AJ's... AJ actually... Now that I think about it, AJ doesn't get a lot of character stuff other than he's an Mm. artist and he's pining for Corey. And his art, they don't even go deep into it. Although they kind of even joke about that. Because there is a scene (laughs) where uh, the shoplifter Warren is being held in the staff room while they wait for the police. Okay. Which is another funny scene where, like, Joe's talking to the cops and he's like, yeah, I got him. He's unarmed. Uh, He's... uh," And they turns to Warren, how old are you? And he's like old enough to punch your fucking dick in (laughs) joe turns back to the phone yeah he's a minor (laughs) Uh, and then while this is happening aj is gluing pennies to the floor of the break room and boren turns him and is like why are you gluing pennies to the floor and aj just looks up i don't feel the need to explain my art to you (laughs) i could see aj being like one of those artists who's very like, right now, he's in his super experimental stage, but he's also ridiculously pretentious about it. Yeah, probably. And is on purpose trying to make some of his stuff really obtuse. Yeah, see, that's where it is. Because he's not trying to do, quote-unquote, highbrow art. Like, he's he's pretty hemming pretty close to Bohemian, so that's where his style is going to be. He's gonna make art that make makes you uncomfortable, makes you confused, or both. Yeah. And, and some of it doesn't even have a deeper meaning. He's just, like, doing it to mess with people. Mm-hmm. Which I can appreciate someone for doing that. Yes. Ooh. 90s Dadaism. That's a, that's a mood. Oh. <laughs> How are we adding a dog into this? It is a store dog. I don't know what it should be called. It should be on the smallest side and scruffy. And it provides a lot of great visual comedy. Uh, we'll name... What if the dog is also named Rex Manning? Yes. <laughs> and, oh my god, it's like the dogs in fucking Snatch. Like, it doesn't really do much, but it does somehow move the plot along at times. <laughs> Maybe it eats a pot brownie by accident. Oh no! No, <laughs> now the dog is gonna have a guar hallucination. No! <laughs> <laughs> You probably shouldn't have dogs on Broadway, though. Yeah. Um, um, I think the only time you need a dog on Broadway is if you're doing The Wiz. Because you need a Toto. Yeah, you need a Toto. But even then, you could probably get away with, like, a stuffed... Uh, this is true. Scotty dog. I remember I saw a production of The Wiz where Toto didn't come with Dorothy. She was just on her own in Oz. And then when she came back, Toto was there, and it was a real dog. And it was basically just like... Set the dog on the ground and it runs and jumps into her arms. That's Aww. all you needed the dog for. Yeah. 
I also, I think there are several high school productions that just make Toto a speaking character and like once he lands in Oz, he can talk. Okay. Which is, yeah. Okay. Sure. Go for it. Don't know how you fit him into the other, you know, songs, but okay. Just to shove more arrangements in there. Yeah. Shove an entire extra harmony into there to deal with. It's four parts for a reason. Nope. Five. We got five hearts now. We gotta make room for the dog. <laughs> hmm. I th- hmm. I think this is gonna be a shorter episode because I-, I explained to you the plot and where the musical numbers are gonna go. I just, mainly I-, I-, I hope this does manifest. I don't want it to get stuck in production hell. Yeah. And maybe if we're lucky, I mean, even though this comes out just before Rex Manning Day, there's a very good possibility that news about it will be released to coincide, just like how the announcement was made on last year's Rex Manning Day. Yeah. So hopefully, as you're listening to this, you can go, th- go through Broadway news or wherever you go for your Broadway news, <laughs> and you can find there will be actual stuff on here saying, yes, it's happening. <laughs> it's real, and Corey uh, is being yeah. played by Barrett Wilbert Reed. Please. Like, I would totally go and see this, even though I've never seen this movie. But it sounds cool. Oh, cool. Barrett Wilbert Reed also played Janice in the Broadway production of Mean Girls. Cool. Which, oh, I keep forgetting that Mean Girls got a Broadway show. Oh, wow. But yeah, okay, so I feel like Barrett would probably be a good Deb, actually. Yeah. Because she's got the rocker pipes, she's got the attitude. She does have that Deb vibe. That's, that's, I don't know Broadway actors, so I can't think of other casting choices necessarily. Yeah. Um, actually, hang on. How old is, what's his face? Jonathan Groff. No, it wouldn't make sense, because Jonathan Groff, he's probably, I feel like he's near his 30s, but he's probably still too young to play Rex Manning. Rex Manning should be, like, a Broadway veteran. Yeah. Who, like, he played some kind of hot young thing. Although, okay, on the... The, the mind, in the mind space of Jonathan Groff, get someone who played one of the hot young things from Spring Awakening. Yes. Or some, or even better, someone who was like a Danny or one of the T-Birds in Greece. Yeah. And have them play Rex Manning. Yes. I like that. It's hard to say, cast all the teens as unknowns, because I feel like there are already a lot of, like, there are, there's a large propensity of young teen looking Broadway stars. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's hard to say, I mean, okay, once again, I don't know a lot about Broadway cast, so I don't know who exactly has clout compared to other people, but it really seems like you only stay up and coming for so long, and then you're just kind of like uh, an established figure in the Broadway scene. Yeah, and they're also unionized, so yeah. you'd have to work around those rules. That's why everyone already knows each other. I'm walking around Wikipedia desperately trying to remember the names of, like, any Broadway actors I might know. <laughs> Corey Cott is 28. Maybe Corey Cott could be one of the teens. He was in Newsies. Okay. Maybe skew a bit older for the main teens and then get an actual real-life 14-year-old for Warren Beatty. Just so once again he looks like a goddamn infant compared to everyone else, because that's the point. <laughs> Do you know any Broadway actors? I because I nope. <laughs> okay, so while I guess while we desperately try and think of other Broadway actors, I guess we'll have to hop over for a friendship promo. 
Welcome to 294 Note Streak, the best idea for a podcast of all time. We use a bracket to rank every song that's ever been in a Guitar Hero game. That's pretty much it. That's the whole idea. My name's Joe. I'm Riley. We do that thing we just said every mm, two weeks? We rank it on how much we like the song and if it makes a fun chart to play. Is 294 an equally divisible number for a bracket? It's not! <laughs> Is Thunder Kiss 65 the best white zombie song? Can anything topple Hangar 18 in this race to the top? Will Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker defeat Michael Jackson's Beat It? Yes. <laughs> yeah, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Should Fat Lip be in Guitar Hero? <laughs> Find out by listening to 294 Note Streak on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or a better app. And remember, enjoy music. And we're back, and I may have found someone, but I don't know. Gerard Canonico. Have, have you ever heard of a Gerard Canonico, Lindsay? No. Okay, because he's 30 years old, but he does play rich and be more chill. Mind you, he originated the role when he was 25, so that's not as much. Uh, but he does have like that kind of, he has a teen vibe Okay. to him. So maybe Gerard Canonico could play Mark. Yeah, like, I was just thinking like, you could cast people in like their twenties to play the teenagers. Yeah, like it's not that hard to look. Like if they're supposed to be graduating at the end of the year anyway, like they're pretty much gonna look like adults by that point. Yeah, my whole thing with Dawson casting when it comes to teenagers is that there is a spectrum depending on whether you're focusing on early teens versus late teens. Thirteen-year-olds look like babies. 18-year-olds, some of them look like clearly they're still teenagers. Others look like they could easily pass for somewhere in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Like, you and I graduated someone with a full beard. Yes. Although, if, if you have the right genes, it's very easy to have a full beard by, like, grade 11. Yeah. I'm just saying not everybody has to be baby-faced. This is true. Yeah, no. Um, except for Warren, because that's the character. Okay. And yeah, Broadway is swimming with hot 20-somethings. And also, they all know each other. Like, I don't follow a lot of Broadway actors, but I follow enough that I see them popping up in each other's stories. Like, even the bigwigs seem to be meeting with chorus member people. Okay. Everyone on Broadway knows each other. Yeah. Small world. It's like, that. that's why they have that one bar. Or they probably have more than one. But, like, if you ever look up Broadway actors on YouTube... You're going to find, like, them from, like, certain specific bars where they, like, all the Broadway actors go to watch the other actors just sing each other's songs, basically. Cool. Or have fun theme nights. Yeah. So there you go. If, if, if this gets released around the same time that Gerard Canonico is cast as Mark from Empire Records, I'm not shocked. <laughs> He's got the vibe. <laughs> okay. I, I, and I think... Hey, we managed to stretch this out to an hour, even though I, some of this might be dead air on account of the connection issues. In that case, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I'm at lindsaym476 on Twitter, and you can get to my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me at Sparky Young. No, no, you can't. You can find me at Sparky Upstart on Twitter, and you can find me on Instagram at Sparky Young Upstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at not if... Nope, I, got, I screwed up the Twitter handle for that one too. God dang it. You can find 
this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and they are pronounced <laughs> And you can find this podcast on Instagram at Not If I Reboot You First, all one word. The hashtag is N-I-I-R-Y-F, also pronounced Nyarf. <laughs> you can also email us at not if I reboot you first at gmail.com. You can send in your critiques, your criticisms, your suggestions for future reboots. If you want to be a guest like we had last and next week, then you can ask to be that. Or send in your favorite Broadway fan cast for, not a, for Empire Records. And please remember to rate and review us on uh, iTunes. Or your whatever podcatcher of choice. Whatever podcatcher you use, I, I, because the algorithm is a cold and unfeeling Eldritchian god, and la la, uh, Steve Jobs Fatong. Damn the algorithm, save the empire. <laughs> so, Lindsay, next week is your brother. Oh. He's gracing us with his presence at long last. Okay. And he has a hint for us. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Rock you like a hurricane. Oh god, Ryan. Is that a JoJo reference? <laughs> <laughs>